You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. All right, thanks, Diane. And uh, yeah, she said it best. I really do hope today's message does encourage us, fill us with courage um, to pursue Jesus with everything that's in us. And uh, welcome, if you're joining us, uh, to add to Bert's welcome. My name is Richard, if you don't know who I am, and it's great to have you with us in the service. And then to my Every Nation GTA family, great to be with you in your living rooms or wherever you are catching this, whether it's live or you're catching this a bit later. Uh, we're uh, in a um, series called Unstoppable, and uh, it feels like we should not stop the series because the name is Unstoppable, but we are going to take a break. Uh, the Book of Acts is a long book, and so we're not going to do it all in one chunk, and so season one is going to come to end next Sunday, and then we have a very exciting uh, series that we're going to be doing over the summer. I think we're going to look forward to just some of the things there, some of the uh, guest speakers that we have lined up to to bring you. But uh, today we're going to be talking about, a, 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 if you're unfamiliar, it can be a very um, difficult passage. So Ananias and Sapphira. But before we do that, before we jump in, I want to put an image before you that will serve as a metaphor for really what we're talking about today. So um, if on your screen there's a tree, you'll see that the center of that tree is hollowed out. Now, this is an example of what's called heart rot. It's when a fungal infection gets into a tree, such that a tree or a branch, and attacks it from the inside out. Basically, it attacks the core of it to the point where even though the tree may look strong and sturdy on the outside, its integrity is being compromised and it can easily break. It can be deceptive what is seen on the outside because what's going on the inside is a rot. A hard run. Now, remember that as we go into today's message, and hopefully I'll tie the knot for you and I as we come out of this. So join me in Acts chapter 4. Uh, the, it's a long passage, so we're not going to have it up on the screen. Otherwise, you can just read it. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 um, and go all the way into Acts chapter 5. So I'm going to uh, jump in from the last verse we did last week. And so remember the original authors, they didn't have chapters and verses. And so sometimes the chapters and verses in your Bible are helpful, but other times they can be unhelpful in the way that they break up the narrative. And so I want to continue because I think Luke's purpose for us is to be in this long narrative of just seeing what does it look like for people who are filled with the Spirit and moving in boldness? What kind of uh, community are they? And so I'm going to read from verse 31, and we're going to go all the way to the end of chapter 5, verse 11. And it says this, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. A real mark of the early church is that they're filled with God's spirit. And because they are filled with God's spirit, it leads them to do incredible things because they're filled with the boldness beyond themselves. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Barnabas is going to become a key figure as the book of Acts goes on. And so Luke's introducing us to him here. 
But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Let's pray and let's jump into today's message. Father, we are so grateful for your word that's not just a historical document. It's live, it's active, it's powerful, it's dynamic to transform us, to draw us closer to you as we've worshipped. God, that's our heart's desire. Pray for all who are hearing this, watching this, God, that you meet them where they're at, but then move them forward towards uh, Jesus today. Holy Spirit, unlock the scriptures to us. Reveal them like only you can. Bring courage and conviction to our hearts um, and lead us in the way of flourishing that you desire for each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. So we can uh, we can misunderstand Ananias and Sapphira. And so what I want to do is just quickly uh, talk about how to understand this. Um, and, and the first thing is to just acknowledge it's a very difficult narrative to read. It's a very difficult story to hear. And it's difficult because it sounds incredibly harsh. It sounds like this would be better placed in the Old Testament. You know, we see a lot of God's judgment in the Old Testament, a lot of that kind of stuff. You know, this is the this is the new covenant. This is the area of grace. Jesus loves everyone. Let the children come to him. Kumbaya kind of thing. What's happening here? People being struck down like on the spot. Um, and it's hard to take the edge of the story, whichever way you look at it. Maybe that's the point. Maybe we to feel a little bit of that tension. Maybe it doesn't fully resolve completely right now uh, with us. And so that's okay. The last thing we want to do is try to dumb it down or try to water it down. But the other thing to uh, help us understand this is this is not normative. There's no other instance of this recorded that this is the normative way that God deals with his people. We all said Thank you. You know, part of uh, Acts, there's always a long debate how much of it is descriptive, just describing what happens, and how much of it is prescriptive, not just describing what happens, but is actually prescribing what should be normative in the church. And there's always a bit of a balance with that, because I think in some parts, um, and, you know, we, we do want to see more miracles and signs and wonders and great fruitfulness and the advancement of the gospel. But then when we come to passages of like this, like, I like the miracles, I like the signs, I like the wonders, less of people dying as the offering plate goes around God. I'm, <laughs> we don't want that. That would be not so great. It'd be pretty awkward to be doing funerals every Sunday as part of our church service. And so, but just to remind you that this is not normative. In fact, there's, there's another instance later on and in, in, uh, another guy was trying to buy, he, was, he saw the power the apostles had and he said, can I buy that? And Peter said something pretty strong to him, but he didn't drop down. In fact, he repented. And so I just want to remind you that this is a very unique, very unique 
um, incident at a very unique time at the birth of the early church. There's just one church, and it's and it's in, it's growing, but it's still in its infancy. It's not like the two billion plus people who make up the church today. And so there's a lot at stake um, with this. And so the, the other question then is, what is the issue here? And sometimes we'll say, well, the issue is that they didn't bring all the money into the offering. And so it's not really about withholding money. It has something to do with money. And we're going to get to that today. But it's not so much about withholding money. You know, when we read that they're selling property and they're selling their possessions and they're taking the proceeds and they're laying it at the apostles' feet, that's all voluntary. It's not communism. You know, some people say, well, that's, that's a, is that a communist kind of setup? No one's forcing them to do that. They're doing it voluntarily. This radical generosity, which is a mark of being filled with the Spirit. You know, sometimes you think of like people who are filled with the Spirit, maybe they're a bit weird, or if you know some Pentecostal charismatic people and they have some wild stories and that kind of thing, and there's some, no doubt there's some fruit there, but I don't know if many of us say, hey, that person's Spirit-filled, why? It's because they're so generous. But generosity, radical, sacrificial generosity, is a mark that the Spirit is growing inside of you because God, we know, is incredibly generous. And so the issue isn't so much, Peter twice says it's you lied, is there was a deception that would crept into Ananias and Sapphira's heart, a hypocrisy. They knowingly wanted to appear and pose as if they were doing what everyone else was doing, bringing the full proceeds, but keeping some back for themselves. And so um, there's a serious issue of rooting out hypocrisy in the infancy of the church and not letting it become like a cancer and spreading and saying that this is okay. You lied not to man. Before we deceive anyone, we've really deceived ourselves. You know, when, when we do anything, it's like for Ananias and Sapphira, the deception already was there. And uh, he says, it's ultimately, you're deceiving yourself, but ultimately, you're lying against God. You're sinning against God, which is always the ultimate destination of our sin. It, it goes and attacks our relationship with God. It's also a story of contrast. You know, verse, and this is where the chapters and verse don't help us. It says, verse uh, chapter 1, verse 5, but Ananias. So that but is there because it's contrasting. It's contrasting specifically Barnabas, but generally it's contrasting this beautiful picture of what the church was like, the purity and the power and the culture of the early church. I want to pull up again that those first few verses and just point out, look at the culture of this church. Could we not do with more of this kind of church? It says, now the full number of those who believed were one heart and soul. That speaks of unity. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. They had everything in common. That's common unity or community. And with great wit power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. That's power and witness. Testifying to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, that's shorthand for saying Jesus is Lord. His kingdom are here. Are you with him or are you against him? They had great power in that witness, and people were responding to that as well as some opposition, as we've seen it was growing. And great grace was upon them all. Great grace. There was not a needy person among them. Uh, that sacrificial generosity. And lastly, it was distributed to each as any had need. That's a mark of a community that loves one another. That's a mark of a community that loves one another. It wasn't the culture of the day. People were more um, keeping their, their uh, material wealth to themselves. And so we see a different countercultural uh, part of the church here. And so the last part of understanding what's going on in Ananias and Sapphira, and you can almost miss it, but there's a character lurking in the background that's really important to remember, and especially for us in our very rationalistic Western world. It's about Satan, and it's about what Satan is now trying to do. Satan's trying to oppose the movement of the gospel of Jesus through the church by, you know, the persecution that we've seen, by 
Peter and John being arrested by them being falsely imprisoned. He's doing all this external attack. And now he's seeing that that's not having as much impact. He goes to an internal attack, not just attack from outside of the community of the church, but now from within their own ranks, he's trying to get a heart rot going. So connecting back to that image, he's trying to get a heart rot going from the inside out to break up the beauty and the power and the purity and the culture of the early church. It's, Peter says, why has Satan filled your heart to lie? Heart rot begins when we begin to believe things. And so here's the other thing. It, it gives us an insight into how Satan works. Um, you know, do you think that Satan came up to Ananias and Sapphira? Hey, Satan here, um, I think you should lie to the Holy Spirit. And Ananias said, that's a good plan. No, of course he wasn't. What, how did Satan fill their heart with deceit? I don't know. Maybe it was like, hey, Ananias and Sapphira, you got over-asking sale on your house. We're seeing that in- incredibly here in Toronto. I don't want to like in your part of the country, but I walk around my neighborhood and it's sickening. Every soul sign sold over-asking, sold over-asking. Maybe they had an instant where they wanted a certain amount and they got sold over-asking. They thought like, hey, well, we've worked hard. We deserve this. You know, you know, the apostles, people are bringing, the, the, the church is full of, of radical generosity, you know, like there's so much giving going on, like we can withhold this for ourselves, we deserve this. Maybe that was the beginning of a lie. And so the, the subtlety of Satan and his and demonic influence in our lives is subtlety in what we begin to think. Those little lies that we begin to believe, those little things. And so we often don't think that that's satanic or demonic, but that really is how it happens. It never comes and presents itself because most people would reject outright, hey, Satan here, I want you to do something pretty radical. doesn't happen like that. And so, But it's a warning for us, that hard rot. Maybe we're not aware of it, but it begins to fester and grow. And in the church, it's beginning to fester and grow. And so God needs to deal with this, cut this out instantly. And so those are just some ways to understand what's going on with this pretty incredibly difficult passage to you to swallow, especially on a Sunday morning. So what I want to do with the rest of our time is just call this the war within, the war within. And so as you and I, as if we want to follow Jesus, if for those of you that are following him, you'll, you'll, you'll recognize some of these already, but for all of us, both on an individual level and then as a church community, these are some battles that we are going to face or are facing as we also want to see the purity and the power uh, that we see in the early church become our testimony. And so the first one is boldness versus timidness. And so it's, it's, there's an indirect reference to boldness, but actually boldness is, a, is another theme throughout Acts. We see boldness, boldness. They did these He stood up boldly and proclaimed. They did this with boldness. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued with word and deed in boldness. It's a a mark of the early church. So what comes to your mind when you hear the word boldness? And sometimes we think of extroverted personalities. Maybe we think of brashness. Maybe we think of very loud-spoken people. Maybe some of those images come to mind when you hear the word boldness. And um, and I think there's, you know, naturally sometimes we've, We've, we've seen people think, wow, that person's really bold, and maybe they've exemplified some of those characteristics. I don't think the Bible's talking about a personality traits like that, boldness. Um, Mother Teresa, I would say, is incredibly bold. But she was a very, maybe potentially, like, physically looked very frail and weak. I don't think modern society would look at her and say, wow, she, what a bold woman of God. And so we must be careful sometimes to read into, you know, the, the Holy Spirit's not trying to make you more brash. <laughs> The Holy Spirit's not trying to make you more arrogant or more, don't confuse arrogance for confidence, but boldness really is about courage and confidence. 
Boldness is about courage and confidence to say things or do things that sometimes incur risk. Um, and so how exactly does the Spirit make us bold? Does the Spirit just zap us and we just sense a boldness? One of the primary ways that the Spirit makes us bold is to continually reassure us of how deeply we are loved by God through Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 15 to 16 says it like this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears, himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then there's another verse in Proverbs that says it like this, The righteous are bold as lion. Those are internal qualities. Those are internal qualities that work through, that the Spirit begins to use through our unique personalities. There's a boldness that comes upon us, whether you're introverted, whether you're shy, whether you're extroverted, whatever it is, that regardless of your personality, whether you think you're bold or not, what the Holy Spirit does is He assures us of our deep love for God, that we're His. And when we grow in the confidence and the courage and the trust and the rest that we don't need to earn or perform for God, that we're deeply loved by Him, that we have a righteousness despite what we do or don't do, that we have a righteousness because of Jesus, that makes us bold as a lion. That makes you bold as a lion. Whether you're Mother Teresa or just some really extrovert, it does, that makes you bold. And so the first thing is the war within is there's always going to be a constant battle of boldness or timidness. And when we begin to look everywhere but Jesus, we grow in timidness. Or we counteract that for arrogance or brashness, thinking that's the boldness that the Holy Spirit is. That isn't. That's not, that's not the boldness of the Spirit. The, the part of the, the, the boldness the Spirit wants to bring is that an incredibly deep reassurance that you are loved by God. You are His favorite. You're the apple of His eye. In Jesus, you can do no wrong, even though we know you do wrong. But in Jesus, you're declared righteous, and the righteous are as bold as a lion. So that's the first war within. It's going to be thoughts that go into your head that say, oh, maybe God loves that person, but not you. Maybe this week you didn't have a great week, and that's kind of damaged. Now, we can damage our fellowship and relationship with God. Make no mistake how we live our lives insignificantly impacts the quality of our relationship. But what's never in doubt is God's love for us. And when we actually become secure in that, we actually begin to see our behavior change more in line with that. And so that's the first war within. Are we going to have a boldness or a timidness as we faithfully follow Jesus? Secondly, generosity versus greed. And so primarily the story isn't about uh, that. It's about deceitfulness and hypocrisy. But it's no coincidence it happens around money. There is no coincidence in that because we know that money can be a major downfall for many a people. And so greed, what is greed? Greed is an excessive pursuit for more of something, material wealth or possession specifically. Sometimes it's called covetousness or avarice. And greed is quite a unique sin. It's quite a unique vice because almost all of us don't think we're guilty of it or aware of it in our own lives. I love what Tim Keller says with this. He says, Jesus warns people far more often about greed than about sex. Yet almost no one thinks they are guilty of it. And I wonder if we're just so much more aware of some more uh, sins that are more obvious to us. But it's how do you get a grip on greed, right? Especially in a comparative to the rest of the world in a, in a, a well-off society like we have here in Canada. 
how do you know what's enough? How do you, when, when you look at the people in your neighborhood, there's always going to be people richer than you or poorer than you. And so it's very hard. It's a unique sin in that sense because we can be captured by greed and totally unaware of it. Well, let's have a look a little bit what Jesus said on greed. In Luke, Luke 12 and Luke 16, Jesus said to them, to his disciples, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness or greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In Luke 16, he goes on to say, you cannot serve God and money. Notice he didn't say you shouldn't. It's not a command. Don't serve God and money. Why? It's because it's impossible. I mean, many of us are trying. We think, you know, maybe that deception is like, well, I can, I can make a lot of money and I can use that and, and, and bless God and, and be careful with that line of thinking because Jesus said you cannot serve God and money. Why? You'll either love the one and despise the other. You'll either use God to serve money or you'll use money to serve God, but you cannot serve God and money. There will come an allegiance question in your life about who and what you're going to pursue. And so Jesus tells us there's a reason that he named this God and called it mammon is the good old-fashioned way of speaking it. It's a deceptive God and it's a lousy religion to practice. The gospel of mammon goes something like this, more, bigger, better, newer, equals, happier. And I think that's beginning to shift already. I think even a younger generation is, is seeing the, the deception of that. And so it's encouraging to see that maybe that, but there's still a lot of our society, a lot of what success looks like is made up in that. And there's a pressure from us uh, to have more, bigger, better, newer. Even within Christianity, sometimes the blessing of God is seen in more, bigger, better. And if you don't have that, then maybe you've done something wrong. And I think you'd be very careful of that. The Bible speaks very specifically that wealth isn't always a sign of God's favor. And sometimes it's, um, it's, it's, a, it's a snare and a trap. And so we've got to be very careful blanket statements that God's blessing always looks like that job promotion, always looks like that bigger house, always looks like that newer car. Be very careful with that. That's how deception works. It looks very close to the truth, but we've got to be very careful when it comes to money and God. And so in the gospel of mammon, possessions become our identities. Shopping and consumption are religious pursuits. Amazon.com, our temple. Materialism, our system of meaning. And greed becomes our God. And so we want to be careful that Ecclesiastes is a great book for a lot of wisdom, a lot of sarcastic wisdom as well, if you like a bit of sarcasm. Uh, it says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Is money important? Is wealth important? Sure. It's not saying that it's unimportant. It's not ignoring that. In fact, the Bible speaks a lot about money because it's a big part of life. But there's something different when we begin to set up a suit. He who loves money. That love and devotion is only for God. You cannot serve God and money. Ananias and Sapphira, something had beginning to grow. Maybe this pride, maybe this greed that's unaware, that's wrestling, the heart rot in their heart, and they're beginning to act on that. And it looks like generosity. It looks like they're coming. Maybe they're giving a substantial gift. But uh, Peter's like, hey, like, wasn't that your property? You got to decide. And when you sold it, wasn't the profit yours? So, hey, no one forced you to do it, but don't come here and try to present as though you're being this generous people when you know you're not. You not just lied to your community, you lied to God, and that's a serious offense. So what's the connection with boldness and generosity? Well, the more secure and confident, the more that we trust God, His sovereignty, His provision, His providence, and His goodness, 
generally the more generous we're going to be. When it's all on me, we're going to be like a little bit more conservative, a little less risky with our material possessions. Um, I love what uh, Richard Foster in his book, Freedom of Simplicity, says. Um, Jesus Christ and all the writers of the New Testament call us to break free of mammon lust and live in joyous trust. They point us toward a way of living in which everything we have we receive as a gift and everything we have is cared for by God and everything we have is available to others when it is right and good. What a beautiful descriptor of what's going on in the early church. Not communism, but communally sharing. What's mine is yours. My life no longer belongs to me, and so my possessions no longer belong to me. Do you need something that I have? It's yours. What a profoundly radical way to live. What a way to demonstrate to people that we believe and love and trust in God. Um, and it can look like recklessness, right? We're, 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 you know, it can look like, well, don't you need to save for retirement? Don't you need to own your own house? I mean, <laughs> you know, it's kind of funny. Like we, we, we instantly kind of like, and, and, and maybe, the, maybe this is how the Satan's working right now. Maybe you're getting very agitated and very resentful that I'm speaking so much on money and possessions there. Maybe you're beginning to justify things, and, and maybe even my heart, well, that was for that time, and, and maybe that was very, again, maybe that was a descriptor of what was happening. I think God wants us to be a radically sacrificial, generous people. Not unwise, I'm not saying savings, investings, but look at there, they're selling property, they're selling houses and possessions, and bringing it willfully and joyfully. We can't even get the Western church to tithe. Like, that's where we're at. In one of the most affluent cultures, and one of the most affluent societies, way more affluent than them. We can't even get people up to 10%. You know, the average, and they've done tons of research on this in, in North America, the average Christian gives 2.5% of their income. 2.5. The early church is selling homes and possessions, and we can't even muster up 2.5%. And so... Um, that's not condemning anyone. That's just convicting all of us. Like, what does radical generosity look like for me? What does it look like for you? What may God be putting in your heart to do? And so the antidote towards greed, I think, is looking at God's grace. That before you and I give anything, understanding that God has given us everything, you know, on your T-shirts, on your clothing, um, when you buy stuff at the grocery store, it'll often tell you where it comes from. Made in China, you know, made in Indonesia. Comes This beautiful orange was grown in South Africa. I've seen that in my store, which is great. Go to South Africa, I've got some great fruit. Um, and maybe for us as Christians, how we need to understand this is that anything, like there's an invisible marker that says gift of God. Gift of God. You're going to enjoy a beautiful Sunday lunch, gift of God. You're going to get into maybe a car today, gift of God. The title deed on your apartment or home, if you're fortunate to own, gift of God. And maybe if we began to think of everything that we have, not taking away your hard work, you know, it, that's a false dichotomy. We're not saying that you don't work hard and that's, you know, but everything is a, even your ability to work, gift of God. If we began to think like that, do you know when things are a gift of God, it's so much easier to give that gift of God to somebody else. But when it's mine, when, I, when you're so consumed with what you've done to get that, it's so much harder to, God has to do this, like, give it away. No, it's mine. Give it away. No, it's mine. Gift of God. Gift of God. 
gift of God. And so that's the way they're living. And that's how people who are just wrecked by God's grace, God, I don't deserve anything. I don't deserve, I mean, the things I do deserve are horrible. And you took that from me. What I deserve is horrible. And you took that and you said, yeah, gift of God. And lastly, the war within is between the fear of God and fear of man. And I think this is the crux of the Ananias and Sapphira story, is that they began to respect and revere, which, so when you hear fear of God, I'm not talking about fear like scared, you know, like you're about to uh, take a bungee jump, you know, that fear when your body, I went skydiving a few years back and it's like everything in your body is like, ah, this goes against self-preservation. <laughs> Stop this. It's like your, your brain is telling your body, no, we should not be doing that. It's like a weird adrenaline feeling. Like if you've ever been in one of those, like that, that's good. That's a good fear. It's like, it's trying to stop you dying. And you're like, no, it's okay. The parachute, the parachute. But we're not talking about that fear of paralyzing fear, but we're talking about fear in the sense of an awe and a reverence and a respect. Um, you know, that, that you, you, I think you, we get that. that. That's the fear that we're talking about here. And the challenge always is for us is that we can grow and in, in, in have an inordinate fear or reverence or respect for man's opinion. Not to say that man's opinion is unimportant, but sometimes it takes on too much of an importance in our lives. Now, a lot of what we talked about, you know, in our culture as well, what's seen as success? Well, what does God define as success versus what does the culture tell me success is? And am I, am I re- revering that more or that more? And how am I going to live my, am I living my life in a way that demonstrates that I revere what God says, even if it looks ridiculous and stupid and it's going to be mocked and be funny in front of man? Or I'm like, well, like, yeah, and again, we justify, well, to be relevant to people, I can't look weird and that kind of thing. And so again, deception, the heart rot can be very deceiving and goes on. And so Luke, I think, ultimately is including this narrative, this story, because of verses 5 and 11. It says, and a great fear, a great reverence, and a great awe came upon all who heard it. A great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these Things. I mean, you got to think like people are going to be a little bit more wary of what they they said they were going to do and lived up to doing that. You know, I think if Ananias and Sapphira came, hey, we got a great deal. Um, we we sold our place for this much, but we're bringing th- only this much before. I don't know if this would have been an issue at all because the, the issue was that they lied and they knowingly tried to look different in front of people. Meanwhile, they were doing something else, and that's hypocrisy, right? And, and, and so that's a cancer, and that's what needs to be cut out of our lives like it was quite severely in their lives. And honestly, you and I, we fall into the same trap. We fall into the same trap when we refuse to live honestly before God and before one another. And, it's, and, I, and I say that, that that's easy. It's incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard to live honestly before God, but it's also incredibly hard to live honestly before one another, right? Because even within church communities, we still have fears. What if people reject me if they know what's going on in my life? What if, you know, there's a whole lot of what ifs that go on that paralyze us sometimes. And so I get it. I understand. I, I, I face those same battles like you do. There's, there's a war within, but there's a call here for us to be a people that's going to be bold, not brash, arrogant, be bold because we're the gospel is, is becoming a dominant voice in our lives, and the gospel is telling us what reality is. Yes, we're sinful. Yes, we need to save it. Yes, we're deserving of judgment and death. But God lovingly, joyfully took that upon himself. Now you're loved. You're celebrated. You're declared righteous. It's just as if you hadn't sinned. When you stand before God, you'll stand before him cleansed, washed. Whatever shame, whatever guilt you have, 
It's under God's protection. Anything that you do or don't do always has a realm of forgiveness. The only unforgiveness in our lives is when we uh, refuse to repent. That's the only thing that God can't do anything about. When we refuse to live honestly before him and, and, and don't repent for the things. And so that's, uh, that's what we want to be as a, a follower of Jesus. That's what we want to be as a community. That the ministry, the mission, and the message of Jesus goes forth with boldness and faithfulness and fruitfulness. And it does that as you and I are growing in our own individual and collective boldness, generosity, and reverence. So I want to put up this last scripture as I uh, begin to hand this back over to, to Burr to lead us in a response. Um, we come back to that image of the heart rot. And I say, how do you prevent that? And there's many different things. But I think the, the one thing is to pay attention to is to the words of Jesus here in John chapter 15. He said about, and it's, and it's I deliberately to, took a, a plant metaphor to uh, tie the bow here. Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. When we stay rooted in Jesus, when we do everything in us to fight to stay rooted and closer to Jesus, we're going to guard our heart from heart rot. When we stay within the community of Jesus, the body of Jesus, the body of Christ, church community, it's going to be an inoculation against heart rot. When we live honestly before God and for, before Jesus, uh, it's going to help us prevent the heart rot that can so easily get in us. And so I don't know what specific steps you're God's calling you to take. But I do know this. I, all of us need to start by looking more intently at Jesus. All of us need to start by looking more intently at the good news of his grace, the good news of his holiness, the good news of his love for us. And when we do that, and when we fixate on that, not on our unholiness, not on our whatever it is that's going on, when we fixate on him, our lives increasingly begin to take on the fruit of what the branch is all about. And that's my encouragement to you and I today that the war within for us as a community and for you individually, that God wants us to grow in boldness, generosity, and reverence for him. And we can do that as we look intently on his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.